really, really hard and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, there sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me We are back on the Jumbo Set Podcast for week eight of the NFL season. Week eight, what formerly was the halfway point of the season, and really, in my opinion, makes more sense to have that be the halfway point. But here we are, week eight out of 17. My name is Jake Luke. I am joined by Spencer Schultz. How are we doing? Doing well. I think I got my sickness coming in, my, my winter, fall, season change sickness. I can feel it. It's starting. I'm going to wake up feeling like crap tomorrow. Had a little bit of a tough work day, but we recorded with the Settle Man. This is our jumbo set, a.k.a. Ravens Therapy. So once we start recording, I think this episode gets us into a nice headspace. So I feel good. We're recording on Tuesday evening. And yeah, spooky season a week away. Got my fourth out of four weddings in four consecutive weekends this weekend. And it's like my buddy now that I'm excited to go see a bunch of my friends. And it should be a pretty easy procedure. Hoping to maybe thwart off this sickness play a little golf this week hopefully and the ravens have a huge gigantic big fat win and somehow for some reason i'm still seeing first take all over my twitter feed so uh you put the moratorium out i'm i'm muting at this point i'm just i'm muting please stop sharing first take every week please what what are we doing we've got a cottage industry of people and uh they know who we are and we like a lot of them but they know exactly what they're doing by doing that and they're getting a lot of engagement out of it i would think so i think the engagement farm is rivaling uh you know the animal farm at this point you know things are just a funny are, farm to yeah, me things are getting out of control i agree i'm not uh not a big fan of it uh I'm we've not gotten a- into it's, it's like we've gotten into we're reacting to the re-reaction of the reaction of someone that's on a talk show who said something a month ago. It's like these guys like as much on. as as much as I hate like first take and all the vapid content, all that kind of stuff. It's like these guys are just talking every day for three hours a day. Of course, it's hard they're gonna to say, do. Yeah, of course, they're going to say crazy shit and contradict themselves. And like, it's really not that important. And like, just don't get riled up by it. And I really do like Colin Coward considering the volume. We've talked about that on here. Yeah, no. I think I, Coward, both. he makes his mistakes. He says, oh, they should trade baseball draft picks. I don't know. Make me talk three hours about all sports every day. I'll probably say some really dumb, basic mess up. And if you listen to Cowherd on interviews, like he's done with Russillo and stuff in the past, like he really, like he, you can tell he like has a real process and he gets his producers involved. And there's like, you know, there's an intelligence there, an emotional intelligence there with him that might not be there with some of these other guys. I agree. I definitely agree. And it's not everyone, but I just, I mean, I don't watch it. I get like forced to watch it. That's all. That's why I'm upset. But that'll be enough of me whining and complaining. Ravens are sitting pretty. They're in a pretty good knock on wood health standpoint. And yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling all right. How are you feeling at this current juncture? Yeah, no, weather is starting to change. I think I'm changing with it a little bit. You feel a little bit of that barometric pressure going on, like you mentioned. So yeah, kind of thwarting that off myself. Heading out of town again this weekend for a little Halloween celebration. So I've got some plans of my own. Haven't played golf in like three freaking months at this point. That needs to change. So uh, hopefully next weekend, I guess, or whatever, you know, the weekend after this, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's going steady, man. Like I said, we're into week eight of this thing. Uh, and man, it just goes by really fast. It does. It's sad. It's sad to think we're in week eight. And we're probably going to say that every week, but week eight 
hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it just it just feels early. I don't know. It feels extra early. Well, they've only it, it feels like they've only played like two home games. I think I guess they've played four now. Is it? But yeah, I mean, it feels like we've barely been at the bank this year. It does that long road stretch, which is going to flip on its head and have a pretty cumbersome home stretch, and then kind of balances out at the end. So with that, I guess we can hop on into it. We can hop into our mega culpas of the week, and the only one that really stands out in my mind off the top of my head is that I feel like in the preview. I feel like we nailed it. Like, I feel like we nailed it, but then I just didn't see the bigger picture that it was they were going to really run it up. I, I felt very confident that this would be a win. The Lions defense was a little bit too basic, a little bit too stock, didn't have the athletes and the horses, and the, they haven't played a Lamar. And as you go back and watch the tape, which we'll get into and whatever, but it was just so evident, like, they haven't played a quarterback that plays at a level that Lamar Jackson does, particularly athletically. So I think not seeing a, a borderline blowout, like that could have been in the cards. And those are the ones you really feel good about. Like we make a lot of predictions. We do it every week, but it's like, if I, if I would have been like, yeah, 34, 34, 10, and you nail it, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So almost had the vision. I think we're starting to see into the matrix pretty well at this point. Uh, this Ravens team has been a little tough to forecast and, project through all the injuries and the new schemes and yada 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 but i think the picture is really starting to postulate so that's fun to watch yeah no i would say you nailed it more so than me i was expecting kind of a close win i didn't expect the really what it was was the offense firing on all cylinders for the first time all season and there are some things with it that we'll get into with the passing game shout out to kurt warner who made the point that Really, it wasn't as kind of great as it might appear based upon the box score, which I think is true to an extent. But I also think there are some things that, you know, other people like Chris Sims have pointed out where, uh, you know, you could really praise Munkin for some of the creative stuff that he was doing to free guys up uh, that we haven't seen much this year or haven't really seen successfully run at the very least. So, uh, yeah, man, it was uh, it was really nice to see. And, you know, I was expecting a close win, but I expected strides to be taken and uh, kind of felt like if the Murphy's law game was in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. Then they had the inverse of this, uh, this, this past week. And I don't think it's going to look as perfect as that, uh, throughout the rest of the year, but I also don't think it's really going to look as bad as it did in Pittsburgh. So we're finding the barometer. We're starting to uh, get the, the finger on the pulse here. And I think we're looking at a pretty darn good football team. One of the best in the AFC. I agree. And getting into just general notebook and things you mentioned, Kurt Warner. So what Kurt tweeted was daily football reminder, be careful who you listen to. Hearing a lot of people saying how great the Ravens' pass offense looked yesterday, I'm guessing because of stats, not tape study. After watching tape, I couldn't disagree more. It's still just disjointed and clunky, ellipses, but Lamar Jackson is playing, in all caps, great and making up for it. Then right beneath that, at Nate Like a Raven said, come on, Kurt, give them credit where it's due. And he said, okay, I will when their details and scheme call for it. In tweet, I gave credit to LJ because he's making all kinds of plays out there. And Kurt really does grind the tape. He's on the NFL Films crew or the or the uh, the NFL Network crew, and they get through it. And I guess the first thing is that I do agree with him, but I think there's a lens or a perspective you have to realize in a context. What is Kurt Warner? Who is Kurt Warner? A prolific West Coast offense passing quarterback, the fastest show on turf. Kurt Warner prefers things and the way that he looks at football. We heard Steve Young talk about it not too long ago as well. They look at things through the West Coast offense lens. Mike Martz, the proprietor. Who, by the way, had some uh, some very high praise for, I don't know if it was this offense, but Lamar Jackson, he was on Glenn Clark. So go back and check that out. I like Mike Martz. 
Mike Martz is really fun to listen to. And Mike Martz is a lunatic about timing and rhythm. That's what the West Coast offense is. The elements of the West Coast offense are that all pass plays attack all levels of the field. So level one being the short zero to nine yard area, level two being the 10 to 19, level three being beyond that. And they're very deliberate in the timing of the route based on the number of steps in the drop back and things like that. So when the quarterback hits the top of his drop, the ball comes out. They like that because it negates the pass rush. So I agree. And the Ravens do have elements of West Coast offense. Football today to me, and hey, Kurt, Kurt Warner's fantastic. I think he does great content. His film breakdowns are prolifically awesome too. He's, he's in the Baldy class. He knows what he's talking about. But still there's like that bias of that. And then I think about, I was like, well, you know, he said Lamar played great, and I do agree with that. And as I'm walk, going through, there's like a two-play sequence on the Ravens' second drive in the first quarter right around the eight-minute mark where it was like an RPO, and Lamar ends up turfing it at Odell Beckham's feet. It was just kind of weird. It was a weird play, and I think of Peyton Manning on the Manning cast, which I brought up when we were talking with the Settleman at the end of this episode. Peyton Manning loves to say every time an RPO looks weird, why does it have to be a P or an O? Why can't it just be an R? And that made perfect sense on that play. It was like, just hand it off to Gus Edwards there, second and short. Then on third down, it looked like Lamar made a check maybe. It might have just been protection. I'm not sure if he changed the route or not. Third and two, I think. They just ran like this little stick play, super basic. There was no advantage pre-snap to running a little, a little stick. It was basically go sit at the sticks and – Everyone was covered. There was no one open. No one was looking for the ball in time. Lamar pumped to Nelson Aguilar, who was getting a, having a linebacker ready to take his head off. And then Lamar rolled out, scrambled, and picked up a first down. The Ravens go ahead and end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. So I think when you especially start watching the game, it's some of those things. But then when you also go look on third down, they did things like using that Miami Dolphins popularized fast out motion that they used with Tyreek Hill uh, early in this game. Zay Flowers is the number one or excuse me, Zay Flowers is the number three. They use him pretty much only in that motion. And he sprints out and becomes the number one. The Lions spread out in the middle of the field. You can see that there's not going to be a defender in the hole in playing a rat, like a middle linebacker sitting in a hook or a safety dropping down into a hook. And then Rashad Bateman's wide open over the middle of the field. And that to me was more of a spread traditional passing play and I think we saw a couple more. There was a Zay Flowers deep out that was mirrored on the other side to Bateman. Uh, Odell Beckham on a nice three-level play that Lamar floats over a linebacker's head. So I think that we did see more of it, especially in true dropback plays, but there are still some option-type plays and some different down-and-distance-type things that are still off. But guess what, man? I mean, like, every fucking game. The Ravens had the highest DVOA in a single game. Every single game is going to have plays that don't work. P quarterbacks aren't going to go 30 for 32. Like It's not going to be buzzing out every time. So um, could there be more of it? Sure. I just don't think he agrees philosophically with the option run game and things like that. And then I expanded my mind further. Like I kind of, You kind of think about it like, all right, the, the Ravens offensive line held up and Lamar Jackson ran around and made some plays. What do the Chiefs do? What do the Bills do? That's exactly that's part of their offense. That's exactly what I was gonna where I was gonna go with this. Like, look at the offenses league wide right now. Is anyone really executing in the passing game to this super efficient regard where it's like every single drive you have two or three plays that you can really marvel at? I don't think so. Watching and I joked about this with Jack, but like it, it feels pretty real to me that these primetime games aren't as good as they used to be. Feels like quality of plays down. We've talked about it on this very program. 
And yeah, it just feels like that. I'm, I don't want to say that this is as good as it's going to get, because I think that would be too complimentary of the Ravens, A, and probably a little bit hyperbolic, B. But it's just at a point where I think you just got to appreciate stuff when, you know, I and I, I don't want to be results-based thinking, but you just got to appreciate these great performances when they come along. And I think Monk, and I said it on the recap show, I'll say it again, I think he had a good game. You would know more about that than me. Kurt would know more than me about that, frankly, as well. But I don't know, man. I'd look at, like, we talked about this a little bit in the group chat, like Chris Sims was calling out the way, and I think you mentioned this too, uh, how Todd Monken is utilizing triple option, but one of the options is a pass and you have the play to Beckham where it's a, uh, you know, I think he, I think he faked the run then he faked the run himself. It was then, just, a, it was like a read option. And then Beckham ran a little stick behind it and sat down or a little three-step slant. Yeah. And there was just no defender that could have done. The, no defender could be right in that instance. Yeah, because you're already reading the, the read option. You, you've already got the key backer reading the read option. So he's eliminated. And then, you know, Jackson takes it. Somebody else is eliminated. And then Beckham is just wide open. And they had more examples of that. The the Gus Edwards 80-yard catch, it was something similar to that. I don't know if it was the exact thing. And then a much more a much more kind of like drawn up one was the uh, kind of faking the QB power to the right and then pop it over the middle to uh, mark it or pop it over the uh, – the scrum to Mark Andrews wide open for a touchdown. It kind of reminded me of our, our favorite Greg Roman play call of all time with the fake tight end screen to Andrews into the same end zone and the same side of the field there. So it was a nice little symmetry with that. But yeah, man, I think uh, it, yeah, obviously it's not perfect. I think to your point, he comes in it with a little bit of uh, bias against this type of offense to begin with, or pretty much anything that isn't WCO. Uh, but you know, ultimately like uh, it's probably valid criticisms, but at a, cer- at a certain point, you just got to recognize where the sport as we're like the league, I should say is, right now and uh, recognize that uh, they were humming this week in a way that uh, not a lot of teams really have at all this season uh, and is the high watermark and they've had a pretty low watermark as well so like I said it'll probably balance itself out water will find its level here a little bit but uh, I don't know I'm just going to give credit where it's due yeah and you mentioned that Gus Edwards play which is interesting JT O'Sullivan did another breakdown of Lamar Jackson's performance and um, his thinking was that Lamar kind of just did that whole thing I don't know to me, it looked like it was a set a setup play. It looked designed um, to me too, for sure. It it looked designed because Lamar came out of it and didn't his footwork didn't say it was going to be a boot at all to me. It looked like he was going to set to stay neutral, and he's so smooth. And he, again, he's the smoothest athlete ever. But he so smoothly faked left, came back right, and then popped it right back over. And JT Hovind kept saying like. If you had the audio on, you would hear Lamar screaming to Edwards, but he like had already thrown it before he had turned around or anything. I don't, I don't know. Uh, that was all weird. I think that was designed. Um, you mentioned a couple of those things. They had a little uh, counterplay to Keaton Mitchell where Zay Flowers goes one way, you hand the ball back to Keaton Mitchell the other, things like that. So um, to Kurt's comments, and, and again, the West Coast offense, and I guess we are kind of reacting to someone saying something, but I thought it was a little bit more film-based. So something that something with substance to talk about. It isn't about. somebody that's going to go on their show and talk about the best places to go on a first date later. Shout out to Stephen A. Smith. Right, exactly. It's not, you know, he, he tweeted it out too. It was whatever. But um, the interesting part is that I think we talked about how practice time is down. We look at these offenses. They have option elements. They have under center elements. They have spread elements. They have air Coriel elements. They have air raid elements. A lot of those things weren't in the NFL yet when Kurt Warner was playing quarterback. So again, I think it's that kind of bias. And with practice time so much reduced, you're not going to be as precise as the Rams were in 2000 because you don't have as much time as they did in practice getting those reps in. So we're seeing, again, them get those reps 
in-game and offensive line play, things like that. We've talked about all of that. But um, to me, it was kind of like, okay, sure, Kurt. But the Ravens gave Lamar Jackson time, and he was a better athlete than everybody else on the football field, especially for the Detroit Lions. Uh, they killed, and the player's name is escaping me. They saw a wounded deer, and I'm going to find his name in one second. Number 21, they destroyed Tracy Walker Jr. in over and over and over, running the ball at him, trying to squeeze a gap so that he has to come fit the gap. Mark Andrews ran by him. He had a couple of nice reps against Mark Andrews and things, but he was in conflict all day and just couldn't be right. Um, so I think it's it's just weird some of the, the to make those kind of statements based off of it uh, about how it's disjointed and things. Sure, sure, there are moments, there are plays. You know, not every play is going to be perfect, but if they gave Lamar Jackson time, he just shredded them apart. And I think that this game showed that the Lions are not who maybe America and everybody thought they were, especially defensively, because they just line up and play. They don't disguise their coverage at a high rate. They don't blitz at a high rate. They don't simulate pressure at a high rate. They don't stunt at a high rate. Who do they have on their defense to line up like that? Like they don't have, it's like, that's a kind of playing back. Like if you have Shaquille O'Neal, you can flip the ball in the paint and he'll go dunk on you. They don't have Shaquille O'Neal. They don't have three really good. They don't have the Eagles defense with five all pro defensive linemen. They don't have some star studded secondary. So I think this was a come to Jesus moment for them. I would be remiss to think they don't make a big acquisition at the deadline, especially with names like Chase Young and Montez Sweat and uh, Brian Burns and a lot of those guys floating around out there. So they need an elite athlete. Um, I really focused on the offensive side of the ball. I hadn't had a ton of time to get, get to the defense yet, but um, Gus Edwards looking like himself. Uh, but there's a lot of talk about maybe the trade deadline and some things like that. Um, the backs, Justice Hill and Edwards still kind of, I don't know, it's always easy to say. Missed some holes a little bit, whatever, but I just I just can't help but think what a Derrick Henry or a Saquon Barkley would do when the Ravens have their offensive line cooking like they did and considering how much pressure Lamar Jackson puts on a defensive front to stay in their assignment and not cheat. <sighs> Derrick Henry could house. And that's what we talked about too. Mega culpa to rewind it. We're like, hey, can somebody make a big play in this game? They had a 46-yarder to Zay Flowers, the 80-yarder to Gus Edwards. It was like eight plays of 20-plus yards. So uh, they stepped up. We were doubting them in that sense, and they stepped up for sure. But, man, put somebody like a Derrick Henry who can break a long run out if you just give him a seam or a Saquon, and I think this offense would definitely take off. And I think that sparks a much larger conversation about the trade deadline. But at the end of the day, takeaway from this game, Bateman, Beckham look healthy. They look confident athletically. Andrews is cooking. Zay Flowers is cooking. Nelly Aguilar, we've loved him all year. He's a nice security blanket. He works hard. And offensive line came together in this one, and it was just really a thorough whooping of a, a Lions team that kind of gave them like a preseason game. Like, again, they just didn't do anything creative defensively, and they got freaking smacked. So I think this is a great game to build off of because of that. Yeah, I think uh, defensively, we don't have to, you didn't watch it, so we don't have to go too much into it, but like Mina pointing out some of the stuff McDonald was doing to uh, to Goff, you know, dropping defensive linemen uh, to kind of confuse him in his passing lanes at the last second. I, I tweeted, that's some shit that I do in Madden, like as, you know, kind of like usering a defensive lineman in like a weird way that you wouldn't to like spy on a, a mobile quarterback on the like a money down, like 
that's what it looked like to me a little bit. And it's, yeah, Mike McDee, big Madden guy. And I think, I don't know, I, it just felt like they had Jared Goff's number. And I think uh, Queen or somebody said something to the effect of, if you get Goff panicky early, it's it's a wrap. Like, you got him dead to rights. And that's exactly what happened on the defensive side of the ball. PFF had 27 individual pressures. So there can be a play where there's one technical pressure, but there were two players that caused it. I think 10 players had a pressure. And to your point, Let's see. 12 players had at least two coverage or excuse me. Wow, 20 players had at least two coverage snaps. Jadevian Clowney had one, Brent Urban had one, Michael Pierce had one, Justin Matabike had one, Roderick Washington had one, Adafe Owe had one, Kyle Van Noy had two, Harrison Jones, Simpson, Tavius Robinson all with two. So that means guys were dropping out into coverage. And a lot of those guys are defensive linemen or outside linebackers. So you can't throw the ball over their head and they're dropping random players seemingly like to a, it seems random at times if on the opposition, they're not random, they're calculated in why they're doing what they're doing, but to an offense, there's no pattern to pick up on. It's really difficult. And Aaron Rodgers on the Manning cast mentioned, they were like, how did you deal with Harrison Smith, a safety that blitzes so much? Peyton asked if, if there's any indicators of when he's coming. And he said, I have a funny story for you. It's a little, little cowboy accent. Got a little funny story about that, actually. And went a on little, to say uh, that... A little funny story for you there, actually. Yeah, exactly. That was a good one. He said that anytime Daniil Hunter and Harrison Smith lined up on the same side of the formation in third and seven or longer, it was a very specific pressure. So they spent all week preparing if... They lined up in that look. It was going to be this pressure. Guess what? It wasn't that pressure. Aaron Rodgers gets sacked, doesn't know where to go with the ball because it was different. It feels like that's that experience that Rodgers is describing is happening five to ten times a game. There are so many pressure looks. They are so multiple. They use so many different players and alignments. As a quarterback in an offense, it feels like they're dropping randomly. It's hard to pick up on, and you have to play a more unorganized kind of football to beat them. Like a Josh Allen could probably do well against that at times. A the guys we talked about, Mahomes, maybe a Herbert guys that can play, make be playmakers like Lamar can, if their first read is taken away. If you're not that kind of guy, I think they're just going to confuse and hit you really hard and you're not going to have a lot of fun. So uh, that, that was all good points defensively. I guess we can, can mosey on through and then get out of here. What stood out to you this week, my friend, as the smooth AF, smooth play of the week? I mean, we got to, like, it's cliche, but you got to do the Lamar Jackson, Johnny Manziel impersonation with uh, Nelly Aguilar there. I mean, we talked about it, too, on the uh, the recap show. It wasn't just so impressive in the fact that, you know, he turned that into a touchdown. It was just the little tiny mechanical things that he did uh, from, you know, running into his offensive lineman, not giving up, spinning out, and then... Uh, running to his, to his right, rolling out, not attempting to throw on the run, recognizing he had two defenders coming at him, sliding and setting his feet at the last second and hitting Aguilar in the back of the end zone. It's one of the more remarkable touchdowns I think I've seen in that stadium. I don't know if that's hyperbolic or not, but uh, just thinking about it, it really it's one of the more impressive uh, touchdowns that I can remember um, there. So yeah, that, that's, that's just got to be the one. It's cliche, but we got to get it out of the way. What do you got? Definitely. I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. I believe I believe it occurred in the second quarter. Excuse me, it was the first quarter 
151 remaining. Lamar Jackson hits Odell Beckham as his kind of third read. Just floats, just a beautiful ball backed up against his own goal line right over to defenders. Odell Beckham getting involved in this one in that first quarter. I think he was targeted seven times, had five catches for 49 yards, but the ball placement and ball control and ability to tempo and pepper his throws right now, Lamar Jackson, the mechanics and the confidence in the mechanics are looking outstanding. And that's why I love watching JT O'Sullivan segments because that's something he knows a lot about as a professional thrower of the football for a long time. And for Jackson to have one of the top five quickest releases in the history of the NFL and be able to throw with a quick release, but keep the ball tempoed and like a change up and layer it and put a little loft on it. The spiral stuff people talked about a couple years ago, that's all gone. Like it's perfect, perfect precision strikes with touch or with velocity. He's changing it up all over. That was so smooth to watch in the stadium so smooth to watch from both end zone angles on the all 22. And it was just also smooth because Odell Beckham's a smooth guy. Like he's a smooth cat. Him reeling that one in was super smooth. In that same vein, I got to shout this out. Zay Flowers looks so fucking smooth with the ball in his hands. Like he's so fast and he's just like, so it, it's, yeah, I think you were talking about it on Twitter today. It is Antonio Brown-esque. Uh, and hopefully only that way he's going to be Antonio Brown between the, between the white lines. Yeah, exactly. And he just like, I, I thought he had a being there in person and then even rewatching it back. He had a chance to score on that thing. If he uh, gave it a little bit more of an effort, but uh, I mean, it, it looked like he was already doing a hundred. So if you want to go one-on-one, -on -one, I'd save it for a more significant moment, but my God, that guy is uh, the real deal. They, they got themselves one finally. And on that 46 yard play that Lamar finds him running the, the in or the dig or whatever over the middle of the field, he, Zay Flowers, absolutely melted two defenders so subtly. He turned his head around like an owl, like almost 360 degrees to see who was behind him. That's how confident he is maintaining his running form and his dynamic, you know, athletic, athletic movements. Almost exorcist spun his head around to see who was around him. Then just looks up. There's a DB coming in and just barely moves, just deviates his path. And two guys just wipe out right into each other. He ran for another like 10 yards afterwards. So that was so clean. And that really that was the play and that move that he made on that play. And the fact that he was looking around to analyze everything instead of just like sprint, sprint, sprint as fast as I can, get upfield. It was calm while moving at such a high rate of speed. Uh, that's what made me tweet out and say, you know, he's he reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown, some of the toe tap stuff he does. Just, just, just dynamically and with the football in his hands and the body movements. Zay Flowers has said that's who he models his game after. Like it's not, you know, he. These, from the these same guys area. are yeah. These guys are of the age, especially being from that area where he would be a guy you would grow up watching. So idolizing, idolizing, playing receiver, being from the same area as him. And Zay Flowers is probably 15 years old in what you know 2016 when the Steelers are have the the triple Bs or the bad Bs or whatever they called them. So definitely. So that was super smooth. That, I think, was a, a really fun segment. So many smooth ones in this game. That was our Smooth AF Play of the Week presented by Baltimore's own Smooth as Boop. When a Baltimore barber wanted to use the best shaving cream and grooming products on his clients, he decided, I'm just going to make my own. Their line of CBD and lavender and all these lovely, lovely scents and fragrances that they have 
consolidates your bathroom space. They've got shaving, grooming, washing, everything you need. You can check them out at smoothafproducts.com if you want to smooth your beard up a little bit. For the ladies that want to shave their legs and have something that doesn't irritate their skin, it soothes it right after. It acts as an aftershave and a conditioner too. They've got tons of different products. Their shampoo is super fun. Leaves your beard feeling smooth and looking better. So go check them out. Smoothafproducts.com. Then we got our Johnny Crab Cake of the Week. Well, I mean, we we can do multiple, of course. We kind of just did. Uh, who do I mean? We I think we know where we have to start with this one. Started off our guy number forty two, longest catch of his career, catch and rumble, just to run through the jungle. Pat Ricard, I mean, that was uh, that was one of the more incredible sights that I've ever seen, and another another amazing uh, sight that I've seen in that stadium. Uh, you know what what a joy it is watching him uh, live out as you have said, one of the best seasons, if not the best season of his career under Todd Munkin. Yeah, he looked amazing in this one. He was handling Aiden Hutchinson, rocking linebackers out of the way, caught a couple passes. At this point, he's making like twirling catches and stuff too. There was a boot early in the game, second week in a row. Lamar kind of like frantically threw it to him and he just reeled it in and had like a three yard gain and got tackled. He's got so, the flair trait in FIFA. Like the, the guys that like the, the guys that are only able to like do the certain like little tricks. Like that's Pat Ricard. He's got the, that's like 2k. Something. Yeah. 2k. Yeah. They can only do like three different kinds of layups. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has like, I don't know. I'm going to give Ricard like in Madden Ricard should have like a 87 catch rating. His spectacular catch rating should be very low. His agility should be very low, but his catch, his hands, they look good. Uh, then he was just able to run rumble. That was just hilarious. That was just a real kick in the teeth to the Lions. Just watching him truck down the field by himself. Like once they were already up big too. So that, that was yeah. Scary. I think it was PFT said it looks like there was there was like nobody within a country mile of him and like he didn't even know what to do with himself at that point when he had the ball in his hands. He started running to the sideline too for some reason when he could have just like ran upfield. Um, and I will say Pat friend of the show pat you gotta like either try to make somebody miss or run through them he just kind of was like ah, he did, yeah uh, it was a little indecisive he got the game ball too after and i think they were trying to get a speech out of him and in true fullback fashion he denied them uh denied them said speech but yeah big day for our guy so had to shout he him most out. certainly did he most certainly did I'll, uh, I'll i'll just throw the whole offensive line they get the crab cake of the week they Lined Ronnie Stanley up in the slot on a Gus Edwards touchdown. He goes and seals inside. Morgan Moses had himself a day. Kevin Zeitler's looking a little bit more like himself, especially in pass pro. Tyler Linderbaum is just playing crazy man football right now. And they got Linderbaum on the right, the right weight conditioning program. He doesn't look like a little boy on the offensive line anymore. I don't even know if he's heavier. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like him being more confident and like standing with his chest out. I don't know what it is. He just looks more of an NFL offensive lineman. Last year, he was like 22 years old, can't grow a beard still. Still can't grow a beard to this day, but I thought he had an awesome day. And uh, he's overly emphasizing his technique and not in like a detrimental way. Like he is executing his hand placements and his pass-offs full throttle. There is no laziness about the way that he plays football. So I thought the whole offensive line was outstanding in this one. Uh, was really fun to watch and go back on tape. Ronnie Stanley obviously drives a DB out of the back of the end zone and actually hurt someone that we might be having on to talk about this experience, a Baltimore banner photographer. He leveled through the back of the end zone there. So the Ravens came to play ball and 
for the team that likes to bite kneecaps, they got a little taste of AFC North football playing at the bank, and it was not a fun experience. Yeah, other side of the ball, I, I got to go with, uh, we got to shout out Kyle Van Noy, two sacks. And uh, what people might not realize, revenge game for Kyle Van Noy. He was with the Lions for three years. That's where he, he originally wound up. Uh, so all sorts of revenge games between him and Jadavian Clowney. This is just a revenge game outside linebacker core because like he played Van Noy played for the Patriots, the Chargers, the Lions, the Dolphins. There's a couple teams on the schedule that he's going to be getting some revenge against. And this was the first one. So nice to see him getting the two sacks there. A couple mercenaries in Clowney and Van Noy. Uh, Adafi Owe as well. I mean, the, 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 just both both sets of lines were outstanding. Both both fronts. You know what? Just everyone. Sides. Let's just give the whole team a, a Johnny Cake this week. This was a, yeah. This was a Johnny. Yeah, the Baltimore Ravens get a Johnny Cake of the week presented by John Harbaugh. Yeah, exactly. Okay, they, they most certainly do. So with that, I think that uh, that wraps us up. That closes us up. Um, the only other things is like I don't know. It's the Ravens are every single metric that exists including PFF team grade, player grade, like everything. They are very high. This might be the year. This might be the year. It's. It I mean, the they, they went out and they invested in the players in the offseason and they got their quarterback signed. And the excuses are gone. And the fact that they are living up to that potential is a good thing. And there's a long way to go. But they are passing the test thus far, in my opinion. Two bad losses, but they beat themselves in those losses, you know? Do you want me to save my trade deadline soliloquy for the preview, or do you want me to do it now? I'm going to give, should, yeah, I'm gonna give you dealer's let's, choice. Let's do that right now, and then we can just kind of focus on the preview. Okay. So the players that are floating around in the, the ether, obviously there are probably some more. Derek Henry. I'll throw Josh Jacobs in there, I think, is another one. Saquon Barkley. I haven't really heard much about receivers other than Devontae Adams. I'm going to not put him in this conversation. I'm just going to assume not. I think the Raiders are a little bit too competitive, just a touch too competitive to uh, to want to get rid of him right now. On the other side of the football, names we've heard, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, Daniil Hunter. And it's tough. This is a big weekend. Derrick Henry, I don't know if I mentioned, we saw Kevin Byer get traded. So, so when I look at his cap number, what, what would have to happen for it to work? Because his cap number for 2023, for yeah, it's, it's $16 million on OTC right now. So bonuses have already been paid. Okay. The only thing that's due is the salary, which, if I'm not mistaken, is about $13 million. Okay. Though the salary is game checks. So forever, however many games Derrick Henry plays for you, you have to have that amount of game checks for him. So you cut it like in half, basically. Yeah, it's basically cut in half as of now. I think he gets about $650,000 a game. So the cap hit would be around $6.6 million current, currently. Okay. So we're right in that department. The Titans could also pay a portion of that or a significant chunk of that if the Ravens were to increase. The, that, that's the conversation you have. What would it take for you guys to do this as well? Well, you could give us another conditional seventh or whatever. We'll eat another. You know, How much is a pick worth to you, essentially, is part of the conversation. The larger part of the conversation to me, and, and we have the settle man who presents someone as well uh, that, that he says he, I won't spoil it. You guys can hear that on the back end, but it's, there's two dueling philosophies of what you can do. You can either trade for someone on the offensive side of the football or the defensive side of the football. Of course you could do both. That would be maybe a little ridiculous though. Then you can also trade for a rental or someone that you're going to sign to a long-term extension. To me, I feel like the Ravens can't trade for a expensive defensive player when you're sitting and thinking about things logistically. 
and sign them to a long-term extension. I just don't know that they have enough remaining capital and draft capital, depending on what that is. Brian Burns, I was really high on the idea of that. I just feel like you don't want to exhaust too much of your equity that you have and your, your assets, I meant to say, assets that you have on the defensive side of the ball. So a rental could absolutely be fine. Daniel Hunter for a fifth or something, or uh, you know Chase Young or Montez Sweat if it's cheaper and you're not exhausting a high pick and a lot of money. The other part of that that's tough to me is it's kind of rare to see an off. I've talked about this before, but it's rare to see an offensive skill position player outside of running backs get traded midseason. We did see Hawkinson last year, and he bu he bucks this, and he was really productive as soon as he came to the Vikings. That's really rare. You don't see quarterbacks traded midseason. You don't see wide receivers typically traded midseason. Emmanuel Sanders is kind of the only one I can really think of that maybe had a big impact for that 49ers team in the, um, the, the Super Bowl loss that they had. But that brings me to kind of a running back. And I think of the cheapest running backs, whichever's remaining, I think that might be the direction the Ravens go. Henry, I think, would be really nice to have him on the Ravens next year. But uh, it would be cheaper next year. It wouldn't be crazy expensive this year. And it probably doesn't cost very much in terms of draft capital. The other part of that, too, if you rent a player, you get a comp pick when they leave. The Ravens rented in Gawkway and received a fourth-round comp pick. So if you were to trade for an expensive player as a rental, let's say the Ravens traded for Chase Young for a second-round pick. They're probably going to get a third-round pick a year later back. So is that as good? No. Does it help you as quickly? No, but it's not that. I mean, it's a second to a third a year. It's not some big, huge difference. So it, renting a player is not this horrible mistake, the draft capital. Oh, my God. The other thing is that you also get an audition or like a preview with that player to say, well, we think we might want to sign Chase Young. We think we might want to sign Roquan Smith to a long-term deal. That one maybe was a little different. I think the Ravens knew that ahead of time. They've coveted him for a long time. But maybe Chase Young, the Ravens don't know all the way. Do they want to sign him to an extension or not? So they could get that little morsel of how does he fit into the scheme? How does he fit into the culture? What type of person is he in this building with us? Then you can try to sign the long-term extension or use a franchise tag or whatever, or you can elect not to and receive a comp pick back later. But I just think uh, don't – I'd be a little surprised if the Ravens make a big addition defensively and that's a player that, like Smith, they signed to a long-term extension. That's a little too tight and a little too much on that side of the ball, especially if it takes like a first or second round pick um, in addition to that money that you obviously have to pay. Yeah, I mean, sneaky name for me, James Conner at 9.4 yes. for the Cardinals. He's a kind of that good receiving back option. Can kind of do it all, too. So I, I would like him. And he doesn't really like Saquon. I like the idea, but there is a lot of injury concern there with me. Um, Henry would be a ton of fun. He'd probably be the most expensive, certainly a rental. But yeah, James Conner might be one of those guys that you could maybe potentially do both with. I'm not sure if he's in the last year of his deal with the Cardinals. OTC is not super like descriptive here, but yeah, he'd be, he'd be a name I'm looking at. I mean, just looking through this list, like not a ton of high paid running backs. Obviously it's not really breaking news or anything, but you know, you got, uh, I mean, Clyde Edwards, a is doing nothing on the chiefs right now. Antonio Gibson commanders. Yeah, there's, there's some names. I think James Conner would be kind of that sneaky option there at running back. And I do agree that's a position that really could use some some bolstering or some buttressing here because, like, you're we've talked about it. How many times have we said the phrase one injury away? 
you're one injury away with one of these guys with Melvin Gordon having to take like real snaps for this team or Keaton Mitchell who looked good in his one touch but like it is just doesn't seem optimal to me for either one of those guys to have serious run on a championship hopeful team so James Conner is under contract next year he has a cap hit of 8.4 million currently he has a roster bonus that becomes due on the 21st of March which is I believe 1.5 million dollars if I'm not mistaken if the Ravens were to trade for him and cut him, they would have $3 million dead cap incur. The total savings, including the dead cap, would be $5.49 million if they were to cut him. So I don't think they would need to cut him, though, yeah. honestly. They could maybe extend him or add a void year or something. Um, so I, I do like that one a lot. I'm looking at running back and then maybe a defensive rental, and you get that comp pick back. I just would hate for them to – they're probably going to need a tackle – Sometime soon, they're probably going to need a receiver or two. They need a back or two. They need a guard or two. And you have Lamar Jackson on this big contract, so don't drown him alone on offense. And they have Roquan that's where Smith. like that's where the whole idea of like the trading high assets for a guy is tough for me because you are now in the quarterback is expensive era. Like, and I think it's maybe a little bit overblown sometimes the disparity between like doing something on a rookie deal versus not, but like. It's there now. It's a real thing. So, like, I think you gotta you gotta be a little more protective with these second round picks, and I, they already are really protective with their first round picks. So, we'll see if that approach changes at all. But I I think I probably would if I were them. Yeah, I think we see the Ravens move. If I had to guess, I think we see the Ravens move a at highest third round pick, and I mean it could be a seventh or something, and they just get a great deal. Kevin Byard went for like a fifth or something. So who knows? Well, that's but, Howie though. I mean, that guy is just you know on a different planet than everyone else. So. No, that's true. Yeah, he's just the best, and the Titans are just doing, you know, long division. And I was going to say calculus, but they're doing like, I don't know, adding their ones and twos apparently on whatever they do with their decision making. But I don't think the Ravens spend more than a third, and I don't think they get a defensive player who, if they sign them to an extension, exceeds like a 50 or $60 million contract. Maybe like somebody that they sneaky like and they extend them or something, and it's, you know, 30 mil, but I just feel like. It would be a lot. You have Roquan Smith. You might want to re-sign Patrick Queen. You might want to re-sign Justin Matabike. You already have Marcus Williams. You have Marlon Humphrey. You got a lot of you got a lot of firepower over there already, and you have picks. And your system just looks good. Like it looks like it gets the most out of guys. It looks like you have the right thing in place and some foundational players so you can probably get them to elevate. So I'm gonna say the Ravens trade for either a defensive rental or a running back like Derrick Henry or James Conner. Uh, I think it's a fun thought experiment, and I'm excited to see what they do. I could be completely wrong, and maybe they go get who Jack Settleman says or something like that, but Eric DaCosta likes to do his discount double-check bargain bin shopping at the trade deadline every single year. So I'm expecting a move. Can't wait to see what it is. Very fun, very exciting. It makes you feel like you're playing Madden. Yeah. Except you have to wait like a week and a half instead of instant gratification of just like forcing a trade as soon as you press your thumb, so fun stuff maybe maybe mike mcdonald is like following eric costa around the offices like you know pitching all these different like oh you could get this guy for like a third round pick and like you know i've got my spreadsheet here that i've been like you know personally filling out myself with all these guys and their values and everything that would be nice it would mike mcdonald definitely uh spamming those madden trades trying to get himself a uh a brian burns right now so with that just wanted to get that out of the way we'll talk more about it i'm, I'm sure the ravens will make a move of some sort of some caliber as they're going to play the Cardinals. They're going to be six and two. 
I don't think the Cardinals are going to win that. We'll get into projections, whatever. We'll talk with that one. That preview might be a little lighter and easier to do because the Cardinals aren't a great team, but I think that was a fun conversation and a fun episode, my friend. Yeah, I think it was very fun. Thank you, as always, for joining me, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. We'll throw it over to the settlement real quick, but uh, before we do that, be sure to uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Go ahead and like all our videos, comment on them, do all that good stuff, like and subscribe and things of that nature. Follow us on social media. At Jake Luke is my name, L-O-U-Q-U-E, at, at Ravens for Dummies is Spenny, at XF52Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for the flagship, at Jumbo Set Podcast if you want to follow this feed as well. Uh, shout out to all our sponsors, everyone mentioned today, as well as Jimmy's Seafood, as well as Fed Thrill, as well as Black Eyed Susan Spices. We love you guys, and we will be back in just a couple days. See you. Arrivederci. All right. We now welcome on a very special guest. It is our boots on the ground, our Thursday night football correspondent, our gambling correspondent. It is the settle man. Jack, you got to go down to Jameis Winston, Tampa, Florida, New Orleans, Louisiana, and see a pretty, that was a pretty fun game in ways. I feel like overall, what was the experience on Thursday like? I feel like that was definitely the best Thursday night game of the year until the Browns indie game, like debatably the best game of the year. Is that crazy to say? What else is in the running right now? All the primetime games are always bad is my contention. So this definitely had to be among the best. Yeah. I mean, maybe you consider Bills, Jets, week one, Rodgers goes down, punt return for the win. But like for three quarters, Josh Allen was just throwing the ball to the Jets. The Jets weren't doing anything. So it's tough to say, but yeah, we finally got a good game. This Thursday will be interesting. We got Baker Mayfield at Josh Allen. So I'm sure we'll see a couple more turnovers. Bill should win that game. But last week was definitely a week where the NFL was not acting normal, which is the most normal thing it could do. It's unfortunate you missed an all-time. I mean, this is like, you're talking about the guy who was there for the miracle on ice. This was quite a night for Al Michaels. Just absolutely crushed <laughs> it on the call. That last touchdown, actually, you were in the stadium, so you don't know this, but he actually stepped out, according to Al. So <laughs> He has been, I have seen some clips on the post, on the post game, and it's just sad, isn't it? What What's the consensus best unit right now between Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays? I got to go Monday. I got to go uh, Joe and Troy. I watch Joe Manning cast though, typically. So I'm, I'm usually out on them. You hate watch and the Manning cast at this point. So the Manning cast is so close to being the ideal football viewership experience. It's so close. And then they have on Tiffany Haddish for like 22 minutes. <laughs> and it's like, ah, you were so close. Aaron Rodgers came on and, and we always joke around about Aaron Rodgers and his whole shtick, but um, he was doing well. Then they had an audio issue, and it sounded like he was in a robo chamber. I don't know if it, I don't even know if that circulated on. They did kick him out after a while. He came back in. It still sounded like it. Then suddenly, someone figured out the switch. He like but fed the camera ayahuasca or something, and yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was immunized by his microphone at some point there. <laughs> but so, Jack, what was the experience like on down in Nola? I know you'd been there before. You talked about it a bit. What you guys end up getting into? What was the the meetup like? What was the food like? It, on it was good. It was good. We hit Giacomo's, which is kind of close to Tulane's campus. It's like a little twist on Creole Nola style food. We had like an alligator cheese cheesecake, which was like the, their most famous appetizer, which was fairly good. I would say it's definitely like a tourist trap, that restaurant, which doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right. but you, you could probably pass up on it. Like Cafe Dumont is, is a tourist trap. 
and those beignets slap. So sometimes tourist traps get confused for bad ball, and uh, there's some good and some bad in NOLA, but that was great. The Superdome is spectacular. It's just such a good venue, and they just did some renovations, so it's even better. When we were there last year for the Ravens game, you could barely walk around this year. Super, uh, super cool new bars all throughout the stadium. One shocking thing, though, I guess the Saints offense is kind of a drag to watch besides the fourth quarter of last week. But the tickets were the cheapest of the season so far, which they have a proud fan base. They have a loud fan base and it was fully sold out. But definitely the cheapest seats like for one hundred eighty bucks. We got essentially like the middle three sections, not the 50 yard line, but 40 yard line which also included being able to go down to the club section. It wasn't included like free food, free drink, but it was no lines, no lines for bathroom. So a little sneaky uh, getting into the NOLA club section, but great time. Excited for Buffalo. We already got reservation at Wingnuts. Uh, we've already got some, some stuff lined up for Friday after the game to do some taste testing. I love it up there. It's fun. The whole city revolves around Buffalo Bills football. So I hope for content's sake that they actually win the game. For our sake, I hope that uh, they can continue to slide. What's the uh, the tailgating plans there? Are you going to go find uh, Pinto Ron and the boys, maybe jump through a table or two? Uh, what are we thinking? <laughs> we found them last year, and my hot take, this is this came in hot, was that the tailgate, it was, it was still probably top seven of the season out of 16 or 17, but it was not like top two tailgate that you hear about. Now, I'll throw one disclaimer. It was week two, so you had the doubleheader Monday Night Football. So they started the game at seven. So maybe I'm giving them benefit of the doubt. We're coming back. They need the energy this year. Now, it's still a great tailgate. And also, we weren't belligerently drunk. If you're belligerently drunk getting sprayed with you know beer and ketchup like they do in those tailgates, I'm sure it's a little more fun. So maybe we tr maybe we try things out a little different this year, but it's still a great tailgating scene. Um, I'm nervous because the, the stadium is kind of right off the water and it gets really windy, really cold there. But besides that, it's a great stadium. The fans are spectacular and hopefully we should see a good game. Yeah, supposed to. When is their their new stadium is under construction, if I'm not mistaken? There's a whole yeah. issue with stuff getting stolen there. I know that the, the PMT guys have talked about like the size of the Buffalo uh, statue that they're putting up and all that fun stuff. Was it Takeo Spikes that got the picture uh, snapped of him? Was yeah. like, uh, did we did yeah. we even talk about this, baby? But yeah, uh, it's just one of my favorite images of the 2023 season. It definitely is. And, and you mentioned the the Bills sliding a little bit. Eight and a half point favorites. I'm seeing over under in this game 42 and a half. So that puts that somewhere around like a 25 17 game, somewhere 26 18, somewhere right around there. Um, I will say, Jake, you did nail, I think, last week. You wanted Derek Carr over yards. I took under on yards for that. That was I, I, had a, I nailed a couple of those, but that one you called out on this one, Jake, and I, I took the under. That was one of the ones I definitely lost. The only other I – I ended up placing like eight wagers on this game. The other one I lost was Rashid Shahid. Mm. I think longest reception over 13 and a half yards or something like that, and he didn't hit. Derek Carr was just checked down city all game. Um, yeah. I, I took, wish, him I I took also Derek Carr over QB rushing. It's another just another nice little sprinkle in there with those over QB rushing yards. ETN to score a touchdown, and then I had Jags money line, and I paid for Spider Man too with it. So that's a big night in the Luke wow. household. That is, I was, I was, 
you are you ever really close to hitting a big bet but also really far away and I feel like whenever you that, are really close you are really far away still no matter what <laughs> What I mean by that is I put my $1,000 underdog slip in and I was feeling a little adventurous because we left Wednesday for NOLA because there were no flights out on Thursday. And so there were only so many uh, lines up because Lawrence was questionable at the time. So I, I didn't really have much to work with. And I just saw Taysom Hill to score a touchdown with a little multiplier, 2x multiplier. So I threw that guy in there. So instead of one grand to win 20 grand, it was one to win 40 Gs. And I went four for five, including the Taysom touchdown. But the far part was I did have the car under, and he ended up blasting through that bad game script for that. Um, but no, Olave didn't go over. I don't know if Shahid even went over. It was just literally throw the ball to Alvin. He Kamara got so I, I did an alt that was also the same deal, and it only ended up being plus four fifty. I did Olave to get thirty five yards, Thomas to get twenty yards, Kirk to get fifty yards, Shahid to get twenty yards. And then my fifth was Calvin Ridley to get 35 yards and he didn't do it. So that I, yeah, I put a whole unit on that. Actually, I, I put a, I put that as a one unit parlay and I loved it. And that's, that's the exact same example. Have you ever had something so close yet so far away? I wonder yes. if Calvin Ridley had any action on the game. <laughs> he had his under that's for sure. Five, five yards in the game. <laughs> The interesting thing I saw about him was there's some fun fantasy data visualizations that have been coming out the last like two years. One of them was like quality of target for fantasy purposes, something like that. It was basically middle of the field and under 20 yards. And Ridley is like dead last in that. He basically really? only gets thrown outside the numbers and deeper. So he's very volatile, very inconsistent. I do love him as a bot. Like in fantasy, I love him as a buy low candidate right now, of course. But yeah. It's, He's too uh, talented and and with Lawrence. But Kirk's definitely the guy, target hog. Ingram's a target hog. And it's so crazy. They are – I don't know if Doug was like this in Philly. It's, it's tough to really remember. But they'll, they'll pound ETN. Like between the tackles, they'll workhorse him. And I feel like that was like the knock on him. Like every way that we describe Jameer Gibbs and how you don't want to run him between the tackles, at least till maybe later in his career – ETN, they they have just burnt him out already, and and it's working well for them. It is. I like the Jag. Jags. Maybe the quietest five and two, five or six yeah. win team in the NFL right now. I'd say, and I think they're playing a really strong defensive brand of football. Um, Olukan, the linebacker there, went crazy in that game. He's been going crazy all year. He's definitely one of the elite linebackers this year. I think their unit's nice. I, I feel like they could make a crazy move at the deadline. I feel like they're at the point before they have to pay Lawrence quite yet where they got to kind of push some chips in maybe right now. So curious about them as we're looking towards this this Thursday night matchup. Um, what's starting to stand out to you? What are you looking for in terms of script? The Bucks, weird team that maybe just kind of clicked early, like we're in rhythm and now don't have a lot more substance to them is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. But then again, if you want to overrate them losing to the Falcons, the NFC South interdivisional games are just – the sl that's they like don't count. They're disgusting pigsty slop all the time. <laughs> Separate them. Yeah, wow. I think that this is probably the Baker Mayfield experience. I would imagine, right? Where like they start what two and zero or three and one, and then they lose a couple. So you're all down on them. If Buffalo was coming off a win, I would probably really like Tampa. This seems like one where. 
you would think that Buffalo is just going to beat the brakes off them because they, they should be so locked in. They need this win really badly. I'm going to say with, with, a be- with a negative game script, with a lot of wind in Buffalo and still a pretty stout defense, Baker to throw a pick is probably my favorite play on, or on Thursday Night Football. And I, I would love to bet on Josh Allen to not throw a pick, but at this point, I just can't. Like he just You're secretly addicted throw. to the pick lines. I love the pick lines. I, I just I think that there's ways to I think there's there's good edges on them because one, the variance is so high on them that there's just like like Kirk Cousins did not deserve to throw an interception last night. But if you bet Kirk to throw a pick, which I think was a smart bet, you were successful, right? And then Jordan Addison <laughs> saves him of a second pick. But yeah, I like the pick lines. Uh, last week, I think favorites or public favorites were uh, 0-8 against the spread. Unders continue their dominance, especially in prime time. So I mean, the Bucks and the under seems like not a bad play, if, if you were to ask me. But Baker probably coughs one up. What about uh, Josh Allen to flop? Where are we at with, uh, with that? Yeah, what's, what's his deal with that? He's, just, he's just a smart ball player. He is. He, he, I don't, he I likes don't know if he played knowledge. soccer growing up or what's going on, but he, that boy knows how to sell it. I'll give him that. The one against Brandon Stevens when the Bills came to, Buff, or to Baltimore last year, he, he grabbed him and took him with him and yeah. drew, a, yeah. drew a roughing the passer. It was genius. Yeah, the one I, in the playoffs the, against the Ravens too. I think it was maybe Judon, and he just, he just went flying. It's like, what are we doing here, man? Come on. It's, it's just hilarious because he's obviously so strong and physical and so coordinated as an athlete, and it, it, I just love it. There's an extent hysterical. to be, he's almost like Gumby or like the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing two man. Like he knows he has so much frame that he can kind of just throw it around, like, you know, pretty easily get that, that flag thrown. So maybe that's what it is. Last thing. And then I'm going to run. Uh, we we're talking, we have our Kyle Van Noy episode tomorrow on punchline. And he was, he was showing a lot of love to Detroit because they definitely traveled on Sunday. Oh, what do yeah. you guys think? Uh, did the Ravens fan show though? Like you won it. Yes, I would say that was about as good of a Sunday one o'clock showing. And considering there were a ton of Lions fans outside of my house before 10 a.m. outside of my house, I saw at least eight Lions fans walking on the street. And I'm not I'm close, but I'm not like that close. That meant that like people who are Lions fans who are friends with people who live around me were like bopping around here. So that was impressive. Um my, I said that on the, the instant recap, my very condescending thing I kept saying to Lions fans was, it's okay, we'll still root for you guys on Thanksgiving. We'll still <laughs> root for you guys on Thanksgiving. We hope you win on Thanksgiving. It's okay. That's that's all we really care about, right? But uh, yeah, I thought the bank, the bank brought it. It was a great step in a huge homestand coming up. And as you know, the Ravens really have played, uh, I'm going to say it, they've played a little bit of a cupcake quarterback schedule, and I will absolutely put Jared Goff in that especially away game outdoor Jared Goff, I will put into that. Uh, Burrow, I think, was a little – I think there was a little possum going on. Like the Ravens kind of just stuck it to them, and then he was like, ah, I'm hurt, okay. Um, But I'll I'll, I'll even throw injured Burrow into that if you want. Then they're going to get a nice little run of quarterbacks coming up. So the bank, the vibes are up, and and hope they're able to continue bringing it as the quarterbacks maybe get a little tougher. Is Kyler going to play? Is Kyler going to play? No, he's out. So you get Dobbs, Gino. But, like, this is the tricky part about the NFL. Like, 
is Brock Purdy considered a cupcake now, or is he a good quarterback? Is Kirk Cousins considered a cupcake now? Is he, is he a good quarterback? Spenny's already. Spenny put his. Uh, he he put the the. I planted my Brock Purdy flag. Purdy. I've seen enough. Yeah. Okay. I've seen enough. I'm, I'm good or bad. I'm, not, I'm putting him. I'm putting him in a similar category to Jared Goff. Bad. He is a function of a good offense. He is a talented so football what's player. What's Gina? Ah, the Seahawks are a conundrum that I've looked. I have some pretty good Seahawk follows that are keeping me in the loop pretty, pretty well without watching too much of their tape so far this year. I just see it through Twitter. I'm going to say cupcake. I'm going to say Seahawks. I'm going to say that's cupcake. That's the problem. So who, so the stretch, the stretch comes definitely in November, December, but, but I think you've got Dobbs, Gino, Watson, Walker, like Watson at this point, you cannot consider Deshaun Watson a good quarterback. Like he's just not. But then you get you get Burrow. I forget who we play after Burrow. I think it's um, Burrow, Herbert, Herbert, Lawrence, Tua, and Pickett, and then they end some, some of that, something yeah. along those lines. It's yeah. If uh, two divisional games wedged in there, Stafford is the other one. So they're gonna have yeah. Herbert, Stafford, Burrow, and I'm I'm definitely vaulting Stafford. That's yeah. he's elite right now. Him, Lawrence. I'll throw Herbert in there. Say what you want about the Chargers. He can he can scorn you. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm curious. It's a good thing. You just know they're going to get burned once. Probably like their defense is going to have a tough day against one of the those irony guys. is I, I actually am hoping that maybe it could be no before the day. De- I was hoping it'd be before the deadline. Like I do think we could you like, if we were to push our chips all in at the deadline, I think it should be for Jair. Like, I, I really think it's corner. I think you go with another corner I don't know unless you can get Brian Burns, it's quarter or pass rush. Like they have been spectacular. Everyone, Van Noy's been amazing. Clowney's been amazing. Stevens has been spectacular. Like I think Marcus Williams will be back, but Gino's been spectacular. Like I would push it in all right there. And I don't think we're going to get burnt. And so I think we might sit there and be like, oh, maybe we do add like a Derrick Henry or, or something that, that really isn't going to move the needle. I think I think we're the best team in the AFC. Like the Chiefs have the best. Chiefs have such a good defense that they're confusing, and obviously Mahomes and Kelsey. But like I think talent wise, we're there. We're we are ready to go. So I'm ready to push it all in. I love it. I love it. Well, I know we we got to get you out of here, but I think you make a ton of valid points there. So you're going Bucks to cover. Obviously, there's nuance. You got to go check Jack's Twitter for a final pick. Yeah, Baker to throw it's early. We record, we record these Tuesday nights. We put you in a little bit of a tough spot, but yeah. I, I think I think you're scheming it out already by then. Yeah, I'll let you guys know the official play. Appreciate you guys and uh, go Ravens. Appreciate you. Love Thanks, Jack. All right, see you guys. Really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Oh, God. Yes, sir. Trust. He's pretty, big, big trust. trust. Big, big trust. trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me.